You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Into hour two on this Thursday, live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. For Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, Cracked Foundation, Bowling Foundation walls, they have a simple, permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Flames are 1-0 on the season. They took down the visiting Winnipeg Jets last night. Not quite used to how things were going last year compared to this year, but a win is a win. And very happy to see the team off now on a five-game road trip that starts Saturday in Pittsburgh. Before they head off to Washington, doubleheader against the Sabres and the Blue Jackets for an afternoon affair on the 22nd of October against the Detroit Red Wings. Lots to talk about for the Flames, lots to talk about across the NHL. Great time to bring in our pal. You know him, you love him, friend of the station and the host of the Couch Potato Diaries. It's our pal, Peter Klein. Primetime, how are you, pal? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Um... It looked a little different last night than it did last season for the Calgary Flames. I know uh, you were glued to the TV like most of us were with uh, hockey back on. What did you make of uh, a win for the Flames last night against Winnipeg? I, I actually thought like it, it was very familiar. The team that got outshot to holy hell ended up winning the game. Uh, it was just <laughs> the, the jerseys were different. That's all. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it was it was interesting. Um, and maybe it was just like confirmation bias. I thought the game was much more entertaining last night. Um, but no, I, I thought that the Flames, I, I thought that a, a few questions at least were, were answered last night. Not that it's like, well, this is absolutely what it is. 82 games, it's going to be like this and nothing's going to divert off the path. But no, I thought it was a good game. Uh, Winnipeg is a team that I, I think I take a bit more seriously than others. I, um, uh, cheap plug for my podcast, but I, I predicted them to, to go to the playoffs when I did my NHL previews on, on Couch Potato Diary. So I, I take that team very seriously. You come away with a, a win uh, against them, you will absolutely take it. Some things to work on, but some things to be very excited about as well. What are some of the things you liked last night in the, the 5-3 win? Uh, the goalie, for one. Um, yeah. I, I guess with the obvious exception of uh, a bit of a, a stinker of a goal, he was phenomenal last night. I... I, I really, really enjoyed what he was able to do. I, I thought if he basically last year, that team's down like three or four, nothing in the first period, right? Like the, the Winnipeg jets were all over Calgary early and Jacob Markstrom was strong to the test again, with an exception, but he, he did everything that he could to keep that flames team in it. And then when the bad goal goes in, I like, I, I just tweeted out or X'd out or whatever. Um, well, <laughs> Because it just felt like, okay, here we go again. And I don't know. I, I do not have the mental fortitude in me to shake something off the way that Jacob Markstrom did last night. Because given how last season went and how that goal just went in, um, I was thinking, okay, there's no way this doesn't spiral and lead to every issue we saw last year. But it was a different guy in there. He was calm. He was collected. And he was once again the rock that the Flames need. And, and if he... If he is going to be that guy all season long, then the Flames are in a very comfortable spot, at least between the pipes. So I, I liked that a lot. I love Manjapani's game. I love that he's going to get a crack now, it seems, on the top line. 
the power play looked better. So, like, there there are certainly some positives coming out of this one for sure. I want to just dive into that um, reactionary um, tone that you kind of mentioned there with the Flames when that goal went in for Jacob Marston. Did you see a similar response from the team when Shifley tied it up in the third? Because that was another spot where I was sitting there going, uh, this could be the turn. Winnipeg's been the better team. Kind of feels like maybe now they've got some momentum going, but this team, maybe unlike last year when they got into some of those situations, just kind of didn't seem unfazed. They seemed unfazed by it and were just able to go back to playing their game. And sure enough, they found the the game-winning goal not long after that. I, when that goal went in, not one word of a lie, my first thought was, they're not even going to get a point out of this, are yeah. they? They're going to, Winnipeg's going to score, score another one here. They're going to lose 4-3 and we're going to be back to save old flame. But they, they just came back out and they kind of took it to the jet. I thought they played their best after that happened. Um, like there, there's a lot of talk, obviously there was uh, wild amounts of broken coverage by Winnipeg on that, that final goal. Um, and I think a lot of people are just dismissing it. Oh, well, it was an icing call. Well, how did they get to that icing call? How did they get that tired? Nate Schmidt didn't just have the puck in the offensive end and decide, I'm just going to go back about a hundred feet and fire this thing <laughs> down the length of the ice. Um, did the flames put the pressure on to draw that icing call and create the opportunities that led them to uh, a phenomenal goal. So no, I, I thought, uh, that's a, an excellent point, Logo. I, I thought that they bounced back really well in a game that it, it would have been very easy. And honestly, last year, absolutely would have gone off the rails for them. And, and don't get me wrong, it wasn't perfect. I, I said it earlier, no. it wasn't a Picasso. But at the same time, how many games, like, and you mentioned it coming off the top, how many games were they on the other side of that last year? It, it just feels kind of cathartic to start the year off with one. Do you want to put that effort on the table for the next 81 games, probably not. Would you like to be a little more sound in your defensive zone? Absolutely. But it's it's one game where last year that never happened for you. So let's get it out of the way early and finally feel like you're on the other side of a bounce for once. Yeah, I, I think Markstrom needed a game like that. Not that like he was like, hey, boys, yeah, another 81 like that. Let's go. <laughs> but I, I, think, I think he needed, needed a game where it was like, you know what? Hop on these shoulders, boys. We, we got this one. We're going to ride this one home. Um, and that's what he ended up doing. They, again, yes, you're right. Do not put that effort out even 10 more times uh, for the, the rest of the season because there are a lot of things to adjust coming off of it. But it's nice to have to adjust after 1-0 instead of 0-1, right? A hundred percent. I'd much rather you know, go in and say we've got things to fix and work on when you've got two points in the bank than the other way around. And it's just... It kind of goes with everything we've talked about, PK, about, you know, the vibes and uh, how this team responds to things. Just it feels different. And again, I have no way, shape or form of knowing how that uh, different feel in the locker room and the building actually equates to points. But if it, if it equates to how this team responds differently and how this coaching staff's able to have a better feel of the group as a whole, then I think that's a good thing. Yeah, and another part of that, that that wasn't happening last year, and we had discussions about it while it was happening a season ago. Last year, this team was dying for someone to, to step up. And then it took a while, but that, that top line, uh, albeit against some, some rather tired individuals, finally is like, you know what, we're just going to score here. Is that cool with everyone? Great. Um, specifically, Manjapani. I, I thought he was... Um, <laughs> to, to steal a quote I had the last time I was on, um, I thought he was undeniable 
in this game and forced his way onto that top line. And then maybe it was him who dragged them kicking and screaming to, to finally get uh, Huberto and Lindholm to, to step up. But that wasn't even happening last year. And finally, in a big moment in the first game of the year, a couple of big guys stepped up. And that is something that wasn't happening last year. So that's another positive that can absolutely be taken away from this one. I want to ask you about the other side. I know you, you talked about the Jets after they signed those two big contract extensions uh, on your podcast. I had Ken Weeb on yesterday, and everybody out of Winnipeg kind of felt the same way that you could kind of see it coming with Hellebuck, but to have both of them sign these exact deals to remain in Winnipeg was kind of a surprise to everybody, given how the offseason went. How surprised were you when the news dropped that Shifley and Hellebuck had kind of changed their direction and we're going to join the Jets long term and go on this ride with them for the next seven, eight years? I was really surprised. Uh, I thought after the, the Jets um, exit from the postseason last year, and I on one of the other things I work on when we have a Jets show, and I was on with them during the playoffs a little bit, and they were ready for a change as well. So I, I thought that this was kind of the, the last dance for this era of the Winnipeg Jets, and they're, they're going to go the draft and develop route. And then, nope. Uh, I was I was quite surprised by that. But then you, you look at this roster, it's still a good hockey team. For sure. Um, that, that, the second line didn't really show up last night, but that line of uh, Lowry, Appleton, and Aya Follow just seems miserable to play against. Like, that is that is not a good time. And Kyle Connor, for long stretches of that game, looked like he was the best player out on the ice. Uh, Morrissey didn't have a phenomenal game, but he is someone who is, uh, I think, worked his way into a conversation where if he's nominated for a Norris at the end of the year, you're not dropping your coffee in amazement. Like he is, he, he has worked his way into being one of the more talented defensemen in the NHL. So there's a lot of talent on this Winnipeg Jets team. And so I think that the perception after last year, where it, it kind of fizzled out for them, um, that they certainly didn't look inspiring going into the postseason. The flames just kind of handed them a playoff spot, but you, you take a step back from that disappointment and you look, and there is a lot of talent on this hockey team. And a lot of it was on display. Like they, they made Jacob Markstrom, work and they had the flames chasing in the defensive zone basically all night um i think if they put that same effort out there for the the next 81 games where we're going to be talking about a winnipeg jets playoff run once again and you talk about the need for change in winnipeg and how it felt like there needed to be change i don't think you can underestimate blake wheeler not being there anymore and Mm -hmm. having that transition to a guy like adam lowry and i do think look when, when it's been as public as it's been for Pierre-Luc Dubois that he doesn't want to be in Winnipeg long-term, I don't know the best of long... There were human beings that it has to affect that locker room in some way, shape, or form, knowing that at any time uh, an offer could come through or any opportunity could come through and this guy is ready to jump ship somewhere else. That has to make a difference. And you mentioned some of the guys that they brought in from that uh, trade with, with LA, I thought looked really good in night one as a Winnipeg Jet. I think that there's no understating what moving out, even just those two guys, even if it's just Wheeler and Pierre-Luc Dubois as the big moves out, I think that's a significant enough change for Winnipeg to feel different about themselves coming into this year. Yeah, it does kind of feel like Paul Maurice by the end was kind of their Daryl, right? Where it was just, we we just need you to not be here anymore. Um, And so when Maurice goes, there's still a couple of guys who are there who kind of sided with the last dude. So it it felt a little awkward in that way. And it just never felt like a a real fit. So no, I I think that's a great point. You you kind of have everyone pulling on the the rope in the same direction. Now Um, you see last night with with Pierre-Luc Dubois 
how much of a, a knucklehead he can be at, at certain times. Um, in night one, looks like he might get suspended to a point where he doesn't even play the Jets in um, in a return to <laughs> Wouldn't Winnipeg. Would that be something, by the way? <laughs> oh, it would be. It would be so funny. I mean, like it, it wasn't my knee that got hit. So exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it would be. It would be just such the thing. Like I oh, I have to play them in a couple of games. What could get me a two game suspension? Oh, I know. But bam. Um, so maybe I'm giving him too much credit for being that cerebral, but yeah, yeah, like it, that just from a quick glance on the outside, that didn't seem like something I'd want in my locker room. So, and and like you said, like I was great last night. Uh, Velarde was great last night. They they got some pieces in there that kind of fit how they want to play as well. And so now you've kind of put an end to that cycle, right? With, um, Patrick line, didn't love being there kind of wanted out. Well, he's gone. They bring in another guy who doesn't totally want to be there either. Okay, you got him out. Now we have everyone kind of going in the same direction. So I think that there is absolutely something for addition by subtraction, but also the players that they brought in just fit really well with how it seems like Winnipeg wants to play. Uh, He's Peter Klein. You know him, you love him. as a contributing voice here on Sportsnet 960 and the host of uh, Couch Potato Diary podcast. Uh, PK, NHL season's well underway. We're heading into night three tonight. What's caught your eye league-wide? Was it the Vancouver drumming of Edmonton last night? Have you been following uh, the Connor Bedard show through the first two games? Or like everyone else, are you just concerned that Kid Cuddy might not be the right choice for the next goal song of the Toronto Maple Leafs? I, all of these seem equal to me as things that we should be concerned about. Very equal, yes. I just want to say I am pro-Kid Cuddy. Um, on the, uh, the, the the trip to Mexico that led, as, as some fans may remember, some may not, um, the, the ATV story, um, that, that same Mexico trip, that, that song was playing in clubs every half hour. <laughs> like, it, instead of, like, a bell tolling outside, it was just, <laughs> like, it was everywhere. So I, that, that song is now, like, forever linked to me with yeah. – um, what, what ended up being a glorious trip to Mexico. So I am pro that song. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think the Leafs made a great choice going from what was undoubtedly the worst goal song in the league. Oh, it drove to, me nuts. Yeah, no, not a fine song, not a goal song. Um, so, no, I, I think Toronto made a good choice. But Jar looks excellent. One thing that caught me, and it, it's not breaking news, but the, the, we had that video of the goal celebration last night after he, he scores against Boston. And he goes over to the side, and then his teammates surround him. Holy crap! This kid's small. Like I, I get like I, I like being big didn't help me get to the NHL. But holy smokes! I don't know if I appreciated how much smaller than everybody this dude was going to be. He's talented enough that it's probably not going to be a problem, and he's getting into the NHL at the best of times. But man, dude is tiny. Um, but again, yeah, like he looks great. Uh, Taylor Hall going down with an injury out there. Uh, that kind of really sucks for, for, for Chicago. Not that they had aspirations of getting a championship or anything like that anyway, but uh, that, that was a, a bit of a rough one. One thing that kind of caught my eye, because um, there's been a lot, like Vancouver outburst against Edmonton is just hilarious. Um, like, do you have a contract impasse with one of your best players? Oh, yeah, let's just go put up a two-point conversion on Edmonton. That's fine. Um, Seattle's really good. That game against Vegas, like they, Aiden Hill played really well, but they created so many chances and they were right there blow for blow with with Vegas. It's just the Golden Knights on that night happened to to capitalize on their opportunities. So I don't know why through two nights that's what stood out to me, but the the one thing that has really caught my attention is 
how for real looking the Seattle Kraken looked this year. Yeah, that's an interesting team because, I mean, I felt like last year was a, a massive step forward for them that maybe a lot of teams didn't expect. A lot of people who watched the NHL didn't expect because, look, I mean, they, they went from usual expansion team in year one that's building and doesn't have much of a, a, a roster to a team that, hey, I they were kind of falling, not in the same sense, but they were kind of the Vegas model in, in year two of, hey, we're going to go out and get some guys here that we think are really going to make a difference for us. And a lot of that's turned out well for them, whether it's, you know, Bjorkstrand or Burakovsky. They're just a really deep team. And you add on the fact that you you nailed your first ever draft pick with Matty Beneers. You picked up a guy like Eli Tolvanen for nothing on waivers. It's kind of one of those things where I don't think any expansion team, whether we go back to Atlanta or whatever the hell happens in the next five, 10 years, I don't think you can sit here and, and assume that an expansion team is going to, to just revel in the bottom for, for three to five years before they're any good. No, the, the NHL did a good job of setting both Vegas and Seattle up for success right away. Um, and hey, if you pay a billion dollars, it's kind of, you would expect a oh, decent totally. roster to start, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, you totally would. And look, like, we can go back over that one all we want, but uh, Jonathan Marcheseau was available at everybody. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think Vegas coming in um, changed, like, Florida's feelings on him or anything like that. Like, all of those, William Carlson probably could have been got for a song and dance before uh, Vegas came in. Vegas and Seattle both recognized the, the value of these players and, and brought them in. You, you still have to – the rules can be set for you, but you still have to, to build the right team, right? And, like, we have four teams in the league who couldn't even field full rosters on opening night. So let, let's not just say that the NHL handed it to them. They, they put the parameters in place to let them be successful, but these guys had to take advantage, and they have so far. Uh, PK, I uh, wanted to hit on a couple other things with you as well. No, you're a big NFL guy. We're in a couple of fantasy leagues together, as always. Uh, Thursday night football kicking off week six. Uh, last I checked, it was 10 and a half uh, that the Chiefs were favored at at home against the Broncos. Uh, maybe we were too harsh on Nathaniel Hackett. Maybe this team just kind of stinks and paid a lot for a guy and made a massive mistake with Russell Wilson. I, I, I'm sorry. I know that there's a divisional matchup and... I want to believe that I'm not going to waste three hours of my life watching this football game, uh, even if it's terrible. But I can't see Denver putting up much of a fight here in this battle against KC tonight. No. Um, and look, uh, we are both fans of teams in the, the Broncos division. Spending three hours watching the Broncos get their ass kicked is never a waste of time. No, fair. It is Very a, good point. A, a gleeful, enlightening experience, <laughs> and we're all better people for it. No, the, the Broncos are awful. Like, Russell Wilson is just cooked. Um, they're, they're putting up offensive numbers, but, like, all of that feels very fraudulent. The, the one thing about Denver that I kind of thought would be this case, but I didn't think it'd be this extreme, they uh, can't stop a nosebleed to, to steal a, a Bart, uh, Bart Scott thing. <laughs> like, they, they, they can't stop anything. And, no, you're right. Like, Nathaniel Hackett did not do a very good job. But if you're going to say that a coach did the worst coaching job in the history of the NFL, you best at least to be 500 through the first four games of the season um, instead of what, what the Broncos are putting out. They, they look terrible. Like, nothing about this Broncos team gives you confidence. Russell Wilson um, is 
just like I said, he's done. Sean Payton maybe doesn't have the the magic sauce, and maybe that one was a bit more of the quarterback he had than uh, Sean Payton being a, a brilliant offensive mind. Like they're just they're just done. And I, I guess the good news is this is a good year to be kind of done in and needing a quarterback. But that it feels like they are basically starting from the the ground, which again brings great joy to me <laughs> and I, I I take all of the pleasure in talking about this from a Denver standpoint as far as the Thursday nighter goes I'm still skeptical that Kansas City um, just because they don't have any receivers at all I, I I'm still skeptical of them like blowing teams out on a week-in week-out basis but I, I I think that they will have no problem with Denver here on a Thursday night yeah it's just going back to all of it the Sean Payton stuff I I was stunned at the time how little talk there was that Sean Payton had one of the best quarterbacks of all time in his prime years in New Orleans and that that was just sort of played off by a lot of people in the NFL as, well, he had a great coach. He had Sean Payton with him in New Orleans. I was like, yeah, that's great, but he wasn't the guy out there making the plays. That was number nine doing that in New Orleans. and We seem to have forgotten about that and. I mean, yeah, for all he said about Nathaniel Hackett, boy, oh boy, you're going to be in the cold takes, you know, freezing cold takes Twitter archives forever if you don't finish with a better record this year than he did with pretty much the same team. And you were supposed to be this quarterback whisperer. Now the picks they gave up to get Sean Payton uh, are looking like it's going to be a mess. They're talking about trading Jerry Judy. It really is bottoming out for the Denver Broncos in a way that, like you said, I'm not all that mad about because the last time they brought in a veteran quarterback, it was number 18, and he was pretty good at football. So I'm not sad to see this go the other way. No, no, I, I'm the exact opposite of sad to, to see how this goes. And, yeah, like the, the Sean Payton discussion, like I know uh, your team was rumored to, to be in on that, and you guys have had coaching issues of your own. But um, I just appreciate you reminding like, me of that. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> you, you see, even if it's in your own end, you just see an opening and you go for it, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, Why not? But I like the the year that the, the Saints won the Super Bowl. Again, like you, you have to take advantage of the opportunities given to you. Their defense basically caught every interceptable ball that was thrown, and yeah. it was just like it was an abnormal rate that they did that. And again, they did it. So congratulations to them. But like that, the the year that he was at his best, they just happened to have a defense that broke every statistical anomaly ever. And then they didn't, and they never made it back there. And so I think a lot of the discussion now, because this is, I think, reputation changing for Sean Payton, right? Like, I think the longer this goes, the more it's going to be, oh, man, like he, he and Drew Brees, he had this, like, all-time great quarterback he was able to, to lead. It's now going to turn to, man, he had this all-time great quarterback and – Boy, they didn't accomplish as much as they should have with an all-time great quarterback. You know, like Peyton yeah. Manning, look at all what he accomplished. Look at Tom Brady, all he accomplished. Drew Brees, like, yeah, he had a bunch of yards. But playoff time, they, uh, they, they won one Super Bowl. But maybe it should have been a little bit more had the offensive genius actually been an offensive genius. Yeah, and not even, this isn't even me taking a shot at, at, at your favorite club. It feels like John Gruden in a lot of ways all yeah. over again, right? Where we were like, he led this tremendous defense to his title, and now it's kind of like, yeah, but wasn't it the other way around? Didn't the defense lead John Gruden to this title? And look, I know that there's give and take. It's never just one or the other. They both play into it. But it sure feels like a very similar situation where 
we've kind of overrated the coach and his ability to just take any roster put in front of him and make it a winner. Yeah, no, that the, the Tampa Bay one is great. Like, oh, man, John Gruden, like, boy, he just he knows how to get the most out of guys. Like, does he or did he just have uh, Rice and Sapp and Lynch and Barber and Hall Brooks of, Hall on... of Fame defense? Yeah, exactly. Like, they just put the entire defensive unit into the, the Hall of Fame. Like, that, I think that helps. So, yeah, yeah like, I just, uh, I, think, I think a lot of times, um, and we've certainly had this discussion in baseball over the last couple of weeks, I think the role of a coach can be a little bit overblown. But there are certainly difference makers. Obviously, what's happening in San Francisco and, and Miami shows that coaches can be difference makers. But maybe that they don't have as much control over these things as maybe we think they do. Uh, before I let you go, PK, UFC 291's coming, uh, 294 excuse me, is coming up uh, on the 21st. We've had a big change on the card. Uh, enter Kamaro Usman to take on uh, Kamza Chemaev in a massive, massive card. Uh, we've got Volkanovski uh, versus Makachev again. That's looking like another good one. It's a great card uh, coming up with some really great fighters. What did you think of Usman being the guy to get this opportunity? I... Love it. The, the whole thing, like everything has changed over the, the last week or so regarding the, the two big fights on this. And I love it. Kamaru Usman stepping up to, to middleweight to, to take on a, a fighter who a lot of people had him pegged as facing a welterweight. And um, now that there's this opening for Kamaru Usman to, to come in, it's a fight that we've wanted for a long time. We're getting it at a weight that, that feels appropriate. And there's real stakes. As it's been said, the, the winner of this gets a, a title shot at 185 pounds and with Sean Strickland just picking up a, a win for the, the middleweight championship it, it feels like all due respect to, to Sean Strickland who fought the perfect fight against Israel Adesanya a couple of months ago but I think either Usman or Hamza would be favored in that bout um, if they were to face Sean Strickland so it just it feels like things have opened up there and then in the main event the whatever you want to describe for courage for uh, Volkanovsky who had hand surgery three months ago, Jeez. gets a fight on two, week no, two weeks' notice, up a weight class, and he's like, oh, yeah, let's do it. It, it is, it, it's it's a, a level of confidence that I will never reach in my <laughs> entire life. Um, and just, it, it is, it, it's, it's what the fight game is all about. So would it have been better to, to see um, Charles de Bronx get, get one more opportunity at the title? Maybe. But now you have, like, number one and number two on the pound-for-pound list going to fight one more time after a fight that was very close and hotly contested the first time. I'm actually more excited for this fight card now than I was when it was first announced. Me too. And it's becoming, for me, uh, must-watch programming when folks out there. I'm curious how he's going to be after that surgery. It feels like a a very quick turnaround, but I love the guts by this guy. Uh, PK, I love chatting with you, pal. Thanks for hopping on giving me some time today. Always appreciate it, man. Yeah, of course. Happy to do it anytime. Take care. Peter Klein joining us. The Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline, regular contributor here on Sportsnet 960, the fan, and also the host of his own podcast. If you haven't checked it out, the Couch Potato Diary podcast, BK, diving into all things sports. You can find it wherever you get your favorite podcast. Again, thanks to PK for hopping on with us on this Thursday afternoon. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side. Kelly Rudy joins us, the color analyst on Sportsnet Flames broadcast. And former NHL goaltender is going to join us to get his thoughts on a 1-0 record for the Calgary Flames as they kicked off their regular season with a win against the Jets. Kelly Rudy's next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. 
Flames 1-0 on the season. They picked up a win over the Winnipeg Jets Wednesday night at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. Now off on a five-game road trip that starts in Pittsburgh against Sidney Crosby and the Pens. Great way to start the year for the Flames. First win in the career as a head coach in the NHL for Ryan Huska. And if you were watching the game on TV last night, you heard the voices of one of the best broadcast teams in the NHL back for another season. Rick Ball on play-by-play and this man, former NHL goaltender, doing color analysis once again. Very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline welcoming Kelly Rudy uh, on the program this afternoon. Kelly, thanks for the time as always, sir. How are you? My pleasure. Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks, Logan, and yourself. I'm doing great, thanks. It was uh, great to be at the Dome last night and back uh, watching regular season hockey. I'm sure that was the same for you and Rick. Yes, it was. I kind of hesitate because I was, uh, you know, I haven't done color since April. And uh, as you know, reps are important in this business. And so I was somewhat nervous uh, leading up to the game. And I'm happy to say that I got through that nervousness just like a player would probably (laughs) in the first four or five minutes of a game. And so that was kind of a relief to get through that uh, bit. Still got the the nervous vibes every every year. You've been doing it for a while now, Cal. Oh, uh, yeah, more than a while. I, I'm em- entering my 25th year with Hockey Night in Canada on Saturdays. And, wow. Uh, this my, yeah, this is my 10th year with uh, Sportsnet doing Flames with Rick. And so I would say, Logan, um, I get nervous for every single broadcast. And, and it's very similar to when I played. There's always a nervousness. Um, I remember talking to Gretzky one time. We played together. Well, we played together eight years in L.A., but I think about the sixth year or something, we're, we're getting dressed before a game, and I said, you ever get nervous? And he looked at me kind of puzzled. He goes, what, are you kidding me? I get nervous for every single game. And, you know, it's the same way as I just mentioned for every broadcast. I always know, Logan, when I'm going to be sharper than if I'm going to have uh, – maybe I'm tired and going to have a lousy night – because I'm not as nervous as I need to be going into the broadcast. So that's a signal for me that that's a good sign. That's interesting. I, I wouldn't have guessed that after all these years you still had the mm-hmm. – because Kelly, I can, I can honestly tell you, and, and I know a lot of Flames fans uh, feel so lucky to have you and Rick doing the broadcast. It certainly doesn't show if you've got uh, – you guys have nerves heading into any games. It, it's great to have you guys back on the calls. Well, then we're good at hiding it. Thanks, Logan. <laughs> <laughs> or at least I am. I can't speak for Rick. <laughs> but it's great to have you guys back. It's great to have hockey back. Uh, look, yeah. the, the preseason seems to, to always take its time getting through it. And it was another one here for the Calgary Flames where not a lot of the faces changed, Kelly, but how they went about their business was different uh, with Ryan Huska and Craig Conroy calling the shots. Did you notice a lot of what we heard from the players and that there was a different feel and sort of a, a different mentality around this team the last couple of weeks? The first day I showed up at training camp, Logan, it was a, it was a 180 turnaround. And uh, that's a good thing. Like there was, uh, there were players that they had a lot of jump, they had a lot of life on the ice. They were smiling. Um, I know it's uh, kind of redundant because we've heard it uh, so many times from the players, but it's accurate that, uh, you know, they're having fun. They're excited. Um, now having said that, you know, you can have fun and you can be excited and you can do all these sorts of things, but you still have to win. I mean, it's not a country club and, and, uh, Ryan and his staff and including Craig Conroy, they're, they're great at sending that message out. The, the mood around here is different. Um, and I always go back to a uh, Nick Lidstrom. I remember 
uh, we were talking to him one time. This is a number of years ago, and they were in the uh, semifinals versus Dallas. And it was a really big game. They lost at home. Detroit did. They're back in Dallas. And Dallas has a chance to extend the series to a game seven back in Detroit. And Lidstrom was saying, my job as captain is just simply to make them more relaxed. Because if they're more relaxed, they'll play better. Their team was relaxed. They won. And that always stuck with me because, you know, you're always on high alert, but there's a, a way that you can balance that where you're, you know, you're at full attention, but you're also fairly relaxed. And so you can make plays under pressure. You can do all these things when the heat is on. And so I always thought about that. And, you know, the flames were so uptight the last while that it's a real refreshing thing to come to the rink and see the guys like, and you know, you've been at the rink a million times, Yeah, see them flying around and having fun and, and still serious about their job, but it's an entirely different uh, attitude. Did you have any experience like that during your playing career, whether it was in the WHL or uh, the CHL when you were with Indianapolis, did you ever have a team that, that felt uptight like the flames did last year where you knew it was, it was kind of weighing on everybody when it came to game time? Well, every season has kind of like their ups and downs and waves that you sort of have to manage. And so I would say yes, um, but I would say not to the extent that it was last year. Like I remember, uh, uh, you know, it was a difficult year for everybody. Um, and I'm not a part of the team. I'm not paid by the team. I'm, I'm just a bystander. I just call the games, but I'm around them a lot. Yeah. And I have to say that it was, uh, it was, I felt really badly for the players because I knew that, it was a difficult uh, situation they were in and they weren't having a ton of fun. And, uh, you know, you're, you're just never going to get the best out of yourself if, if you don't like going to work. Yeah. And that's kind of what we've talked about. I'm sure you've, you've heard a lot of it too, Kelly is I, I don't know what it means points wise for this Calgary flames team. I don't right. know if it means more points or less points than they have last year, but I know from a, a player's perspective and a, a personal perspective for each one of those guys that it's not a bad thing at a minimum. It's going to, to make the day to day of what can be a really long season, a lot more manageable for these guys, knowing that they're going to come to a, a positive environment and that they've got the, the coaches backing all that stuff makes a difference in a long season. Hey, yeah, it does. Now the other thing, the other way we have to look at it though, you can still push them and you can push them hard, right? Yeah. Like, I've always said Al Arbor and uh, Barry Melrose were two of my favorite coaches. And I had other really good ones, by the way. But those two guys, uh, they could be stern when they needed to, and mistakes weren't tolerated. And you had to make sure that you were ready to play every single night and uh, you took your uh, job seriously. But also at the end of the day, and I think this is important, every time I put my or laid my head on the, my pillow at night, uh, I always knew my best coaches cared about me. And that's a real important statement because you need to know that those people care about you and uh, your family. A hundred percent. And I think uh, it was Rasmus Anderson who we talked to not long after Ryan got the job and he had mentioned, you know, going back to their time in the, the American yeah. Hockey League together that Ryan yeah. was one of his toughest critics at times, but he knew it was coming from uh, a mm -hmm. place of him wanting to get Rasmus to a better spot and, it was yeah. never a personal thing. It was never a negative thing. It was him being a good coach, and he wouldn't make that effort if he didn't want to see Rasmus get better, and that went a long way for a guy like Rasmus, who we've seen blossom into this great defenseman in the NHL. Oh, 100%. And, and you know, the great thing about uh, Ryan and other really good coaches around, they understand that every individual is different. And so you have 
you have team rules for everybody, but how, how you treat everybody is different. And, and I think the best coaches always understand that, that they know, hey, listen, Kelly behaves this way. He performs best under these conditions, and Logan needs to be pushed a little bit more. Uh, this other person really needs to be pushed. But again, at the end of the day, I need that person to know that I care about them and I'm just trying to get the best out of them. I remember, like, uh, I'm going on story time here, but uh, no, fine. When, I first, when I first joined the Islanders and Al Arbor, they just won uh, their fourth Stanley Cup uh, consecutively, of course, and uh, Al was all over Dennis Potvin. And Dennis Potvin, I think at the time, in my opinion, was the second best defenseman to ever play only behind Bobby Orr. And, and I was watching this, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, Denny has accomplished everything. He's our team captain, and Al is on him all the time, but Denny can handle it. Later that year, we added Pat Flatley and Pat LaFontaine, and Pat LaFontaine went on to have a Hockey Hall of Fame career. Brilliant. He was yeah. an amazing player, and yet Al knew that he couldn't push Patty very hard. He had to sort of treat him uh, with kid gloves, and he would push him, but not to the extent that he pushed all of us. And so that was the brilliance of uh, Al as a coach, and that's what the brilliance remains in today's uh, game or society. You have to know each individual, and if you take the time to do that, you'll get a better performance from everyone else. What have you made of the uh, the approach that, that Ryan's taken from a, a more of an X's and O's uh, perspective, Kelly? There's been a lot of emphasis on moving the puck out of the defensive zone quickly, uh, a defenseman joining the rush to create offense. Uh, and, of course, we've talked a lot about that new zone defensive scheme uh, mm-hmm. rather than a man-to-man approach that the Flames have employed the last couple of years. What have you sort of liked and what have you made of, of those changes as they've obviously just been through one regular season game, but we've seen them mm-hmm. start to implement it throughout preseason and training camp? Well, first of all, I like up-tempo, and I like moving the puck quickly and going north in a real hurry. But having said that, Daryl was uh, of that mindset also. He didn't want the puck in his own zone very often or for very long. So quick exits, got to move your feet. The thing I like about it, and I heard, I think it was Nazem Kadri yesterday at the morning skate when he was talking to us, he said something about now we have freedom, though. We can make some plays, and that's yeah. an important thing. You know, there's one thing to make a smart play, and that's, just dumping it in and chasing, and that's perfectly fine. And every team, including the current planes, will do that because that's at uh, certain times that's the, the number one thing to do. But there's also a freedom that players have to have. And, and if you're a little bit more gifted, you've got a free credit card to try and make some plays. And uh, you don't want to stifle that uh, creativity. Uh, having said that about the defensive structure, uh, I go back and forth whether I like man-on-man or zone coverage, and I'll give you the, the reasons why. I personally think, and Vegas has used man-to-man for a long time, and, and they've had lots of success. So the thing about man-to-man, it's I personally think it's easy for players to understand. Uh, you don't have to make quite as many reads, but the problem is in man-to-man, as soon as there's one breakdown, it usually breaks down in total. And so you'll go from one breakdown to two or three, and then all of a sudden you've got a grade A chance that you're giving up. Whereas zone, typically you don't give up as many grade A's, uh, but it's harder, again, in watching it uh, throughout my career, watching guys try to learn it, it's more difficult because you have to make more reads. And so there's a difference between the two coverages, and I like both at different times. And it was interesting too, Kelly. I asked Jacob about this post game when we talked to him in the locker room, and I I said, from a goaltender's perspective, does anything change for you when it comes mm-hmm. to a, a man-to-man defense or a zone defense? Do you need to 
communicate with your D more? What has sort of changed? And he said there wasn't much from a goaltending perspective that changed. The goal is is what it always is, and that's to stop the puck. But uh, I was curious to get your perspective on that too. If you see it from a different spot as you're you know reading the play as a goaltender, maybe between the two systems. Not really, yeah. Um, because you're focused on your your individual job, and so I used to bark out orders. I, I was quite vocal on the ice, but what I tried not to do is uh, give them instruction on who to cover because it, it happens in a split second, and by the time I've usually identified uh, their man, it's too late. And so you let them do their job. You let the coaches uh, uh, teach them and, and do the coaching and the video sessions and so on. Uh, for me, it was just more focused on my job, the shooter, uh, and the potential uh, plays in front of me and just trying to read a play. Uh, speaking of Jacob Markstrom, I thought uh, he was great last night. Looked a lot more like the Jacob Markstrom that was a, a Vezina candidate a few years ago. Kelly, did you get the same sense watching him last night against the Jets? Yeah, uh, I think it was about eight minutes in, and uh, I think the Jets had already finished their first power play, which looked deadly, by the way. Uh, I thought just in that first power play, the Jets used about three or four different uh, setups. So that was uh, incredible to watch. But Rick and I mentioned it eight minutes into the first period, I believe, and how important it was. And uh, Jacob didn't give up an early goal. That was important, I think, for his own mindset. Uh, he just looked really in control. And, and uh, last night out in our postgame hit, I, I reminded, uh, well, I thought of it myself just before saying it. I said, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? So about December of last year, there was a game at home, which, by the way, I didn't think Markstrom was that bad after that game, but all of us will remember he was asked uh, after the game his thoughts, and he said, I'm bad at hockey. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was happy to report yesterday that, you know what, he's really good at hockey yesterday, and yeah. so that's a good sign for Flames fans. You know what, it's funny, Kelly, I asked him the question, uh, that got that answer, and mm -hmm. I, it was the game against Montreal. It started okay. off badly with the the misread off that early face-off, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I had actually asked him, because if you'll remember, he got kind of tangled up with Josh Anderson. Andrew yeah. went to defend his goaltender, as a good teammate does. He took the only penalty. Montreal would score on the power play and win the game 2-1. Flames were the better team. Right. And I had asked Jacob, you know, what, what happened with Josh on that play? And, and he said nothing. And he gave you that exact response. He said, I just, I, I suck at hockey right now. And I, we all looked at each other in the scrum and went, this is just not the Jacob Markstrom that we know. No. And not the confident guy that exudes when he's in yeah. the net. And it was so good to see him smiling. Like so many of the other guys, you mentioned that earlier. And when, when I look at, at Jacob Markstrom, Kelly, and you know this better than, than most, when he's at his best, he's that, calm cool presence he's not over exuding his his movements in the goal and it just was so good to see him back and and looking like that guy again last night and that's how he looked last night yeah. and also there's like he's a really nice humble guy and easy to talk to but there's a, a cockiness and and all athletes have to have that right you've got to you've got to believe in yourself more than anybody else and uh, that had disappeared in the second half of last year, and it's good to see that he's able to reclaim that. Uh, Kelly, great stuff on the broadcast last night, pal. As always, it's great uh, to have you and Rick back in the broadcast booth for another season. Uh, safe travels, as always, throughout the year, pal. I hope we can chat again soon. You got it. Thanks, Logan. Thanks, Kelly. Appreciate it. Yep. Kelly Bye. Rudy joining us down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline.
former NHL goaltender, and as he mentioned, long time now color analyst for uh, Flames TV broadcast on Sportsnet along with uh, Rick Ball. We really are so spoiled uh, to have uh, those two great men uh, on the TV side for us uh, calling Flames games, and it was great, as always, to to see Kelly, to talk to him. I get the the fun privilege of running into those guys at the Saddle Dome and up in the press box on the broadcast side of things, and it's always great to chat with Kelly. I love his stories. Um, his perspective going back to his uh, great NHL career is just it's second to none, and he's just such a great uh, great person. I really appreciate him taking some time to join us uh, this afternoon. We're going to wrap things up two hours flying by on this Thursday. That's what happens when hockey season's back. The Flames 1-0, big win against the Jets, now starting off five on the road, which begins Saturday against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Get ready for some of those uh, Eastern time zone starts. So it's going to be a 5 o'clock puck drop with Derek Wills and Megan Nicholson on the call. Pat will have your Flames pregame show at 4 o'clock. That's going to be the uh, set time for four of these five road games. The final game on the road trip against Detroit going to be a Sunday afternoon affair, which sees a 3 p.m. start uh, from uh, Detroit. So make sure you get uh, your time adjusted. Just the one home game for the Flames uh, early on before they hit the road four or five in a row. Quick reminder, Flames were at practice this afternoon, changing up uh, a couple of things from last night's game. Andrew Mangiapane, who we saw move up in the third period, was back on that line with Huberto and Lindholm at practice today. Ruzichka up from 4C to the wing with Kadri and Coronado. Dubé with Backlund and Coleman. Your fourth line, Greer and Dewar on the wing with Yegor Sharangovich centering that fourth line. And a change on defense, Jordan Osterley operating as your seventh defenseman as Dennis Gilbert got a shift alongside Chris Tanev on the third D pairing for the Calgary Flames. We'll see a couple days in between games here for the Calgary Flames, so perhaps Ryan Huska just getting a feel for some of these different lines. We'll see if that holds true coming up to that game Saturday against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, thank yous on the day. Thank you to some outstanding producers, Cam and Taylor, for their great work on a Thursday. Thank you for listening live or on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you if you texted in to 960-960. It's been a busy day. David Amber, Peter Klein, Kelly Rudy joining us. If you missed any of those outstanding interviews today, check us out on the podcast, Sportsnet Today 960, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Feel free to uh, give us a rating and a subscription. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, we're coming at you live from the Doug Lacey's Basin Systems downtown studios on this Thursday. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll get you set for the Flames and the Penguins. We'll also check in with our Friday regular Matt Marchese ahead of another busy NFL week. And it's the Stampeders and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, a massive game for the Stamps. They hold their own destiny if they can pick up a win against the Riders on Friday. Matty Rose will check us, uh, will check in with us on Friday to get you caught up on everything you need to know ahead of the Stamps and the Rough Riders. Enjoy your Thursday evening. Football on Thursday night, football, hockey, whatever you're watching, enjoy it. We'll be back on Friday here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.